0: Hey, good morning. It is great to be with you today as we gather in homes and spend this day together again as we are separate in body, but we are united in spirit, united in screen. And so it's great to be with you today. I also want to say to all of you, mothers, mine included, happy Mother's Day. We are thankful for you. We appreciate you. We honor you. Without you, none of us would have Life. Everybody loves their mom, and a mom is a very special person. Uh, we honor you. We are thankful for you. We pray that today you would experience extra blessing knowing that God honors you and your role as a mom and sees you and everything that you do, all the little things that are often unseen, often ignored, often unappreciated. We value you, we appreciate you, and God honors you as well. And I also want to say I know Mother's Day can be a painful day. I know we've had Mother's Days in our homes that have been painful as well. I know even in the life of our church that there are those who have broken relationships with their mom and so today is a painful day. Maybe broken relationships with your children. Today is a painful day. I know those, there are those of you that long to be mothers and you have not yet been able to experience that and so this day brings up pain. There are those that have experienced infertility, and miscarriage, stillborn, births, all, all sorts of pains that this life has brought as it relates to motherhood. There are single moms that are doing this alone. There are those of you that have experienced um, loss of children and all sorts of just painful things around this day. So. I acknowledge that too and uh, you know there's categories of people where Mother's Day brings pain that that I haven't mentioned also and I just want you to know we know that though today can be a beautiful day and a celebratory day, we also know it can be a really painful day for some of you and God sees that pain too. God knows that pain, he knows that while others are celebrating you may be mourning and we're thankful that you are joining here today and pray that God can minister to your soul, maybe even just in this time that you hear that God sees you in all of that. And so we love you and we are praying for you and, um, and mourn with you even while we rejoice with those that rejoice. And I know even some of you are, are experiencing this is the first Sunday of bringing new life into this world and you have little babies and you are rejoicing in the new calling that God has given to you as a mom. And so wherever you are, whether you've been a mom for a long time, or you have pain around motherhood, or it's your first time being a mom to, uh, on this Sunday, your first Mother's Day, we are with you, and we're for you, and we love you. And uh, we're, we're going to continue in our series talking about what it means to restart, what it means to restart faith and restart relationships. And we've been looking at all these different Aspects, And I'm going to pray for us, and then we will jump into our time together. So Father, I thank you first for all of the moms, all the moms in our life that you have given to us, those that are our birth mothers, those that are uh, like second moms to us, those that you have given to us, um, even in the church as moms, and we, we thank you, Lord. And Lord, I pray for all of the moms that they would feel your hand on them, even now, And be reminded that you see them and love them. And Lord, I pray for all the pain around Mother's Day. Those that have lost moms, uh, those that want to be moms, those that have lost children, broken relationships, all the things I mentioned before, God, I, I know I'm leaving things out, but God, I know you see them. Help anyone that feels pain around this day today to know you see them and love them and care for them. Lord, I pray that as we open the word and talk about restarting again, that you would speak to us. We know that you are bigger than a screen and you can reach through that screen, Holy Spirit, and speak to our hearts, whether that's in Colorado or in Arizona or New York or Kentucky or Florida or Washington, wherever it might be. Lord, you you see the people right now and you want to bring good news to them. And so I pray that you would help me to speak your word and that you would make this time fruitful for us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we are all living on a trajectory in life. We're all, we're all going somewhere, and it, it might not feel like that. A lot of times it, it doesn't feel like that, but we are moving in our life. And I think the easiest way to think about that is if you think about school, you start school. I know some of you don't want to think about school. You're maybe a teacher and it's Sunday. You don't want to think about school or you're finishing finals and you don't want to think about that right now. But if you think about school, we, we start and it's all moving somewhere. You go to preschool and kindergarten and first grade and and you graduate high school, and and I know I fast forwarded a lot there. You graduate high school, and and then maybe you go to college, and you graduate college, and maybe even uh, do graduate school, and you you finish that up, and 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 your kind of life, you see it in those sequences that it's all moving somewhere. And then with work, a lot of times we we get out of school, we start our entry level job, and we call it that because we know that we hope our career is moving somewhere, that there's promotions. A lot of times people make choices where they're gonna to move to, where they're gonna live based on this is a good career move because we view it as it's moving somewhere. Sometimes even with um, purchases like a home, people will get a starter home and the hope is that that leads to another home and and that you're able to kind of build in that. So we we often know with certain things that our life is moving somewhere, but it's not just those things, It, it really is our whole life is moving somewhere and some of us are really intentional about that, about where we want it to go and where we're trying to move it. And some of us don't necessarily think about that, but it is still moving in a direction. And right now, so much stuff has been disrupted. So much stuff has been put on pause and plans have been canceled and things have stopped and things have changed. And, and with kind of a lot of our normal patterns disrupted, our normal routines ceasing, we actually have the opportunity to reflect and think about where is my life going? Where is the direction and the trajectory of my life moving? And is it where I want it to be going? And is it where God wants it to be going? And and we all want, in our most reflective moments at least, to have some sort of aim in life, some sort of goal or purpose or meaning in life. We all want to know that life is moving somewhere, that it's not just... Kind of chaotic we we want to believe that life has that our life has a, a purpose in a, in, a, in a positive movement and sometimes we have that we feel it really strongly like with school or career and sometimes we lose that and we're not really sure man what is it all for i wake up i hit the snooze button on my alarm clock i eat breakfast i go to work i come home i play with my kids i watch a little bit of tv i go to bed like we lose it sometimes and it can feel kind of in a rut but we all want, I mean, and don't you, if you even just think about it, don't you want to say, man, here's where my life's going, and I've got a trajectory. I know where I'm headed. This is what life is about. We, we want that. And this is allowing us, actually, this space, this time is allowing us some opportunity to reflect and to restart, to make sure that we either have a purpose or we have the, the right purpose, that we're going in the direction that we're made for, that, that God wants for us. And so what purpose in life is it that God desires for us? What purpose in life can give your life, my life, ultimate meaning and a good trajectory in which to organize life around? And I want to look at four truths that I believe will help us to have an aim in life, a purpose in life, an organizing principle in life, that will help our lives, that will help us as we wake up, know why we're waking up and what we're doing and why we are doing it. So I'm going to give us four truths that I believe can help us towards that end, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm really going to mainly focus in on one key verse, but I want to read this whole section because our first truth really uh, pulls the whole thing in together. But this is Ephesians 2, the very beginning of Ephesians 2, and it'll go from Ephesians Uh, 1, or sorry, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. So here's what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses, that's sins, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins, different ways to talk about it, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's referring to Satan, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh Four truths that we can get from here, and this is such a rich passage, there's so much stuff in here that we could talk about. but Four truths that can help us to live with purpose, meaning, with an aim, an organizing kind of principle in life. The first one is this, God saves you. God saves you. And such a profound truth, I could preach a whole sermon on this, I have preached whole sermons on this, but the first thing we need to understand if we want to have an organizing purpose in our life is that God Saves That we are sinners. Paul uses the language that we are dead in trespasses and sins. And he kind of gives us three different categories of that, that we follow the course of this world, which means that kind of whatever the way the world goes is the way that we go. And maybe some of you don't think of yourselves as sinners. I know some of you watching right now are not Christians or maybe kind of checking out church and not sure. And when we think about sin, we might think of murder and maybe adultery and cheating, lying, stealing, kind of things like that. And those are sins. But part of how Paul describes this here is that we follow the course of this world, which means we're not following God. Our hearts are not set on what does he have for me and what does his life for me look like, but we follow the patterns, the values of this world, just being influenced by the the narratives and the themes around us and we live our life kind of with the flow of this world. He describes it that we follow the world, that we follow Satan, which it often doesn't feel like that, but, but Satan tempts us into things and we follow him and that we follow ourselves. I think that's one of the, maybe the most profound things that we can see from what sin is, is that we, he says, follow, we live in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind that doesn't sound so bad to to most americans that we are living with the desires that we have in us and we're carrying out the things that we want in our body and the things that we want in our mind that even sounds like very american values to follow your heart and to follow the desires that your body and your mind have and pursue those and paul says all of that is sin. And I'm not saying it's inherently sinful to do something that you want to do, but he's categorizing the sinful life as a life that says, I follow myself, I follow Satan, maybe unwittingly, I follow the course of this world, as opposed to I'm following God and what he has for me. We might think of sin as just those moral commands, and it is that, but it also is also to reject God, and to ignore God, and to dismiss God, and instead pursue these things. And this can happen whether you are religious or irreligious. Sometimes it's more obvious to identify in those that have no religion at all, but it also can be, Paul says that he himself is included in this. He says, whom we all, which he would be including himself in that, once lived. And Paul, before becoming a Christian, was a Pharisee. He was a religious person that was very moral, and yet he was still able to identify in heart I was following my own self. I was following the course of the world. I wasn't actually having my life focused on Jesus. So what this tells us is we are sinners, but not doesn't just leave us there, but that God saves us. That God saves us. Paul is not just trying to say, you're so bad, look at this. But he's building it in so we can all find ourselves on the hook as people that have rejected, ignored, dismissed God, whether religious or irreligious. And yet he says God saves, that God saves. Why? Not because of anything we've done, is the point that Paul wants to make. Not because of anything we've done, but rather, the language here, and just listen to sort of the, um, the um, I'm trying to think of the right word, the superlatives that he uses. He says, because of the great love with which he loved us. Why did God save us? When we're sinners and we're rejecting him and we're ignoring him, because of the great love with which he loved us or god being rich in mercy he doesn't just say because god loved you or because god is merciful he is trying to make sure we understand with adjectives it's because of the great love it's because of the rich mercy that he has that overflowing out of god he says not because of anything that you have done no works that we have done we are sinners and yet god has rich mercy he has great love for you and thus saves us, not because of anything in us. So the first principle that I want to give to us, the first truth I want to give to us to help build kind of purpose, and we have to start with this because it humbles us to know that God saves us. That if, if you understand your sin and how we were dead and yet we were made alive, not because of anything in us, but because of Jesus, that gives us a great humility that God would send Jesus Christ to die for my sin and to give me life, not because of any work, not because of any goodness in me, but because of his rich mercy and great love, that creates a humility. If you try to go off with a life of purpose and significance apart from that, you will believe it's because of you and what you've done and you may even try to live a life of purpose so that you feel you matter and have some significance or even that god would approve of you and go good job and yeah you really have earned my love in some way and he is saying i need you to start with this everything in your life if you're a christian has come from grace if you're not a christian that is what god invites you into He says, you have rejected me, ignored me, dismissed me, and I want you still because I have rich mercy and great love. So that's the first truth. God saves us. First truth number one. Number two, and the rest of our time will really be focused in on this verse. Number two is that God designed you. God designed you. He says this way, we, this is verse 10 for we are his workmanship." This is such a beautiful truth. Listen, I I don't know who you are or you know kind of how you experience life, but you may not like who you are. I talk to people often that have parts of themselves they don't like and that can be physical traits, it can be personality traits, it can be just their situation that they find themselves in in life. You may not like who you are or parts of who you are, You may not like who you are and maybe one of the ways to think about that is that you look at other people. It might not be that you think about yourself and think about that you don't like. But you look at other people's lives. You look at other people's gifts. You look at other people's personalities. You look at other people's intellect. You look at other people's jobs. You look at other people's families. You look at other people's appearances. You look at other people's strengths. And you compare yourself to them and want what it is that they have that can lead to comparing, it can lead to jealousy, it can just lead to discontent in your own life. But what Paul says here is this: You were designed, designed. You were designed. You are God's workmanship, and that word workmanship really means that it's a work of art. It's uh, I think in Greek poema, which you think about the word poem, but it's not just a poem. It really is a work. art is what it's speaking of. That you are a work of art. I've had the chance, the fortunate opportunity, to be able to see some of the great works of art by Michelangelo and da Vinci and Rembrandt and Van Gogh and and many great artists. I've been able to see their sculptures and their paintings and and buildings and cathedrals and, and many beautiful things. And when you think about the greats, you think about the detail. I'm not a great artist. I could take something and whip something up really quick. But the greats that make these masterpieces, they put in so much time. They put in so much emotion. They put in so much thought. They put in so much energy and detail and every edge and and everything is carefully crafted to be a work of art, to be a masterpiece. Now, if you think about the greats, they are nothing compared to God. God is a much better artist than Rembrandt. God is a much better sculptor than Michelangelo. God is a much better painter than Rembrandt. God is the great artist, and he designed you. God says, you are my masterpiece. You are my workmanship. You might not like the things about you. God says, I designed you. I put thought, and if we can use this language, I took my time in designing you, in making you, that you are not an accident. And that is true with your physical birth. The Psalms tell us that God knitted us together in the womb. That's true with our physical birth, but here Paul is specifically talking about your spiritual birth. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. It means that as God united you to Jesus, he created a new birth. He designed your physical birth, but he also designed you in your spiritual birth, which means your experience of him in salvation, he designed. It means the ways that he has gifted you spiritually and the ways he didn't gift you were intentional. He designed you. It means the the way that he has led you and called you in life. He designed you. It means the hurt Listen, it means the hurt that you've had in life That has been painful, but that he has used to teach you things about himself that he has used to Sanctify you to make you more like him. He designed it. He designed you is what it says that God has designed you. You are not an accident. He thought through making you. He looks, listen to me, some of you really need to hear this. He looks at you and says, exactly. And I don't mean that every part of your life God affirms. I don't mean the sins in your life. That's not what I'm talking about. But that when God designed you, he knew what he was doing. He knew that he didn't gift you like he did someone else. He knew he wasn't going to give you the experiences of someone else. He wanted and designed you. Truth number two, you want to have a life of purpose? You want to have a life that is organized in a way going towards what God has for you? You need to know that God saves you so that you are humbled and you're not fighting for some sort of worth because you already have it in his rich mercy. But two, You need to know that God designed you. Three, God designed you with a purpose. He didn't just design you. He didn't just make you and go, that looks nice. He designed you with a reason. He designed you for a purpose. You're not just created or designed. You are created for. It says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works it means he designed you put you together with all your experiences and all your gifts and all your sanctification and all your hurt redeemed and all the ways that you know him to be and all the different things he designed you for a reason he designed you for a purpose so in in that sense maybe it's less like uh you know a rembrandt or a michelangelo painting or sculpture and it's more like technology or more like engineering Think about one of the greats in that way of someone, maybe like Steve Jobs, designing the iPhone. And it's not designed, and you are not designed, simply just to marvel at and just go, wow, that looks great, but rather designed for a reason. The iPhone is designed for a reason. It's designed to have us continually reaching into our pocket and checking it. That is what it's designed for. It's designed for a reason. And what he says here is, yes, you're like a work of art, but the fact that there's a purpose to it means we are designed for a reason. A bridge is designed by architects and industrial engineers for a reason. It has a purpose. It's not just to be looked at, but to be driven over, to allow a great purpose of crossing things you couldn't cross otherwise. A phone is designed for a reason. A house is put together for a reason. And, and what Paul says here is, you were designed for a purpose, for a reason, that you were created with intent. This is so important because it's easy to set our own course. It's easy to set our own course in life and think little of, what am I actually here for? What was I actually created for? Listen, you experience meaning in this world, not in just doing whatever you want but in aligning yourself with what you were created for. I think this is a really important truth because so often in our life it becomes more and more, the the longer we live, more and more about us. What do I want? What makes me happy? What kind of life do I want? What are my goals? What do I want to do? What would bring me, you know, the most fulfillment? And Paul is telling us we actually have a hardwiring that we were made For something and you won't actually experience your deepest purpose you won't actually experience your deepest joy your truest self unless you conform to who you were made to be Uh, I was out in the backyard and uh, my kids were using we have a badminton racket and they were using it like a shovel to pick up weeds and it's that's not what it's made for and that little poor badminton racket won't experience its truest purpose unless it's used for what it was made for. And sometimes that's what our life is like, that we are trying to create our own purpose. We're trying to create our own meaning. We're trying to create our own happiness. We're trying to design our own goals, our own life. But true purpose is found when we actually submit to the way we were created to be. If you're a badminton racket, you weren't meant to be shoveling up weeds. You were meant to be hitting birdies and and scoring goals. That's what you were made for. And that's if a badminton racket could come alive, it's when it's doing that that it will say, this is what I was made for. Purpose is found not looking inside and saying, who do I want to be and what do I want? It's found in looking to him and saying, what did you make me for? Because you were made for a reason listen a lot of times people are bored in life they're stuck in life and and by stuck i mean they're kind of like man i'm not really growing i don't really know what to do and it's oftentimes because of this they've been trying to create their own purpose their own meaning their own stuff and they just find it doesn't fulfill purpose is found when we align with the one that made us that created us that gave us hardwired into us A sense of purpose I guess I could ask you this part of how you know if this is what's happening are you consciously living your life wanting to live for the way he made you are you consciously saying my life my goals my pursuit this year next year the career I choose the things I do is trying to be for the way he made me for What he has for me or are you more trying to just kind of figure out how you want life to be paul actually says that is part of the sinful life we follow the course of this world we follow our own desires and that purpose is found as we say i want to conform my life to what he has for me that's where you actually experience true joy true purpose so god designed you with purpose is truth number three you were not just created you were created for something, and he tells us what it is for. He says, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were created for good works. And when we hear that word good works, what do you think of? A lot of times we think of big actions. We think of maybe uh, going and digging wells somewhere, or we may think of nonprofits that we volunteer with, feeding the homeless, and all of those things are a part of good works. But that is not the only thing. Really what good works are is things that are done in faith, in love. Things that we are doing, saying, I'm doing this in an act of faith because I'm submitting my life to God and I want to love other people. When the Bible talks about good works, and you, you can do a survey of this and search through the Bible, it applies it to all sorts of normal things in life to raising children, and to generosity, and to doing everyday good deeds of service to those uh, in our community. It's just, it's, it can be extravagant things, but good works, you could just translate as loving your neighbor in faith, meaning we are saying, I'm doing this as an act of love to God, and so I love other people. God created you for a purpose, which is to do good works. That can be, again, all sorts of things. Think about serving in the church. Think about generosity. Think about serving your neighbor. Think about loving your family, loving your kids. Think about serving your spouse. I mean, it can be all sorts of things. It can be talking to people about Jesus. But the big idea is God did not just save you to receive, but to give. That God wants to be something to you so that he can be something through you. That God wants to do something for you so he can do something from you. That God wants to give and so that you receive that, but then you also are a conduit of that to other people. You are not... Here's another way to think about this. You're not just brought on the team and you go, man, I'm so thankful that God brought me on his team and he designed me, he gave me the jersey, you know, I get get to wear the jersey and I'm on the team, I'm in the family and then sit on the bench. He designed you to play. He designed you actually to get into the game. God created you, saved you, gifted you, birthed you. He brought you into this world and he brought you into his family, if you're a Christian, for a reason. And the reason is we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He designed, listen, He designed you for this. He designed you right here, right now, for good works. Not later, not some other time, not some other person. He designed you for good works. So the question here is, do you embrace that? Are you consciously living your life saying, my life is for good works. I have been saved by God, I have been designed by God, And I have been purposed by God for loving others in all the different ways that that can mean. That is what I'm consciously trying to bring my life in alignment with. How I make decisions, how I set goals, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how I think about relationships, I will experience my design and my purpose as I align with that. So truth number one, God saves you. Truth number two, God designed you. Truth number three, God designed you with a purpose. And last one, truth number four, our life should consciously be then about this purpose. Or, the way Paul says it, we should walk in these things. He says, he created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the fourth truth, that if this is all true, then our life should consciously be thinking, how should I walk in these good works that God has prepared for me? And let's just break that down a little bit. When you think about the word prepared, what that means is that it's not something that is um, out there that maybe one day will be. It is right here in front of you. God has prepared things that he wants you to walk in. Sometimes we think, okay, maybe I'll do a good work somewhere, someday, sometime. Right now I'm focused on this. But what he is saying is God has already prepared these things for us. And he wants us to walk in them. He wants us to live in them. The way the great uh, British uh, preacher, nineteenth century Charles, or 18th century Charles Spurgeon said was this, On the whole, you are placed, just listen to this, On the whole, you are placed right now in the best position for your producing good works to the glory of God. I do not think it, says one, it's not the box that makes the jewel, nor the place that makes the man or woman. Oh, but anywhere rather than this. Yes, and when you get into that place, you now covet, you will pine to be back again. A barren tree is none the better for being transplanted. It is difficult to, if it is difficult to produce good works where you are, you will find it still difficult where you wish to be. Oh, sirs, the real difficulty lies not without you, but within you. If you get more grace and are more fully God's workmanship, you can glorify him in Babylon as well as in Jerusalem. And he's saying that God has placed you where he wants you to do the good works that he has for you. That is what it means that God has prepared these for us. It means that where God has you now, God prepared that place for you to be. And when we pine for some other place, some other gifting, some other activity, some other thing, thinking that's where I can do good works, what Spurgeon says, really what Paul is saying, is God has prepared this for you. And it's our responsibility to seize it. And it means this, if God has prepared these things for you, he's involved in your life. It's not just that you have to go and find good works to do. God is preparing them and putting them before you. He is involved. Second, it means this, that our life should constantly and consciously be about this purpose. It means focus where you are because that is where God has prepared these for you. And it also means it's about, it's not about doing, it is about living. what I mean by that is that it's not just some activity. Good work shouldn't just be kind of some extra activity we do, but it really should be our life. And that is what it means to walk in them. When it uses that language that God has prepared these things beforehand, so we should walk in them, that's saying this should be your lifestyle. The language of walk is a continuous, ongoing, this is your life versus there's some activities out there that you should go do it's saying no this is how you should be living this should be your identity this should be how you are walking this is important because sometimes we think of good works as an extra activity which means a lot of times we get burnt out we get tired because really we view it as an infringement on our normal life this is our walk this is our life This is our purpose, happiness, and job, and career, and house, and this is really what I'm about, and okay, I'm supposed to do some good works, but they're kind of an infringement, and the more that we kind of have to do these things, the more we feel it's messing with our walk in our life, and Paul is saying, what God is saying to us is, no, this is to be your walk. This is to be your lifestyle. It's not an infringement. It's the thing. It is the walk. And if you feel burnt out from doing, if you feel burnt out from activity, it may be because it's just activity and doing rather than being and saying this is who I am. This is not a hindrance to my real life. This is my walk. This is my life. I guess what I would say to you this is um, this is a heart. This is a heart. It's hard to know, you know, you can go and do your life and I am doing good works, but it's a heart posture. And and I I think you have to just kind of honestly assess, is your heart, has your heart said to Jesus, I want my life to be good works. I want my life because you've saved me, because you've been rich in mercy, because you've been great in love, because you've given me grace. I want my life to be aligned with you. And I want to let you flow through me so your kindness, he says, so your kindness can be revealed. The riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus might be shown. God, I want that to be my life. If if you have that heart posture, it starts to feel less like an infringement. It starts to feel less like activity and more like identity. It starts to feel less like doing and more like living. It starts to feel less like just having to uh, do certain things and rather you've become a certain person. This is what Jesus wants for us. Have you said that to him? Use me. I'm yours. Let this be my life. Big and small good works. Good works in front of us right now and good works that are later that he will have for you. So let, let's just kind of wrap this up. There's four truths that will help us to have a life of purpose a life of meaning. Number one, God saves you. Number two, God designed you. Number three, God designed you with a purpose. And number four, based on those three, our life should be consciously lived to walk in that purpose. Those are the four truths that we need to give us purpose and meaning. Here's what this means. Let me just kind of speak to some different groups of people. For some of you, for some of you, maybe your purpose in life has been about you. And I'm not saying you would put that on, you know, Instagram and say my purpose in life is about me. But if it's not consciously about God, it is consciously about you and your desires and what you want. And so maybe for some of us, it's been about my happiness and my career and my goals and my things. Maybe for some of us, that is what it has been. And God today is inviting you to join something better. God today is inviting you to experience what you were actually made for. Maybe, for some of you, you've just been a second group of people, you've just kind of been apathetic. You don't really feel any drive in life or any conscious purpose. And maybe that's because purpose was kind of snuffed out for some reason. Maybe it's because you're cynical. Maybe it's because you've tried and things didn't work. I don't know what it's for or why. But what you should hear today is that he's inviting you in. He's saying, I designed you. And I don't want you to just be sitting on the sidelines. I want you to get in the game. He's inviting you in. You should hear an invitation to the one from the one that made you. And, and then a third group of people, maybe it's for those of you that are burdened, you, you want a sense of purpose. Maybe you're even not sure what's my purpose and, and you want to have a purpose and, and you can kind of feel, sometimes I call it the tyranny of purpose. Is I, I have to find my purpose. I need to figure out my purpose and what's my calling and what am I supposed to do and, and kind of feeling discontent that it's not there. And, and what you need to hear is your purpose isn't hidden. It has already been prepared for you. And that goes back to that Spurgeon quote. It's where God has you right now. He designed you you. He designed you for the things that he has in front of you, the good works in front of you. They may be grand. They may be small. But he designed you for what he has in front of you. And he's prepared them. You don't have to find them. They're in front of you. And as we just live a life of obedience and love, we are Walking in our purpose as we seize the opportunities that God has laid before us and prepared for us You are living with purpose. You don't have to discover your purpose The purpose that God has given to you is to obey him and love others in front of you And if he gives you some great idea awesome do that But it's to love and do the works that he has put in front of you and then finally a fourth group of people um, Is for those of you that are older And by older, I mean 30. No, I'm just kidding. I mean those of you that have lived life for a while. And you can start to look at life. And I know, because I've had conversations with you. You you can start to look at life and go, Man, maybe time has passed me by. Purpose is for the young. You know, thinking about your calling and your dreams and what do you want to be when you grow up. That's for the young. That is not true. Listen to me. God designed you. And he knew that you were going to be here today and he knows how long you are going to live when god designed you he did not say i've got a purpose for you for 45 years and then after that ah i'm done with you that's not how god works he says i designed you i designed your wrinkles i designed your age i designed where you are in life and i listen to me i still have a purpose for you some of you that are older need to know that and and man sometimes when folks that are a little bit older sees this in their hearts there is great things that are done when the old just retire and sit on the beach not much happens when the old say i still have a purpose in my life to love to serve to pray to be a part of what god is doing great things happen you still have a purpose So I want us all to hear that, wherever you are, whatever, if that's you had no purpose, you're kinda living your own purpose, you're older, you're just kinda trying to figure out your purpose and maybe even feel burdened by that, whatever it is, I want you to ask, what would my life look like? What would my life look like if I consciously said, I'm living for God and his purposes in my life? What would change? What would change in your life right now? What, what is the answer to that question for you? Uh, maybe that's something even this week to think about. I would encourage you this week, maybe just write that down on a piece of paper, maybe journal, maybe just have it sitting somewhere and to think about what would my life look like if it was built on aligning with God's purposes for me? What would my life look like? Is, is it look like the way it looks now? Or what would change? What would be different? about your choices, about your decisions, about how you approach work, about how you approach family and money and time. What would be different if you were saying, I'm aligned with God's purposes. He designed, He saved me, He designed me, He designed me for a reason and I'm consciously walking in those things. For some of us, and maybe all of us, we should take some time and we're gonna take communion in just a moment, a good time to to reflect and remember this. For some of us, that means to confess, to bring this to God, to tell him we've lived our own purposes, we've done our own things, to confess to him. For some of us, it means also then after that to commit, to say, okay, God, I want, help me to follow you and your purposes for my life and to restart in your life, to restart with a new sense of purpose, a new sense of meaning, new direction, new goals. We all wanna have a life of purpose. We're all building a life, it's all moving somewhere. Imagine what could happen. Imagine the joy we would feel Imagine the the people that would be blessed if we were aligned individually as a church with God's purposes. This is what God desires for us. This is what he invites us into. When we take communion, we remember that beautiful grace that Paul spoke of. Rich in mercy, great in love, immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, Paul said. All of these superlatives to tell us his body was broken for you, His blood was shed for you, not because of anything you did, but because of his great grace that created salvation and it created new creation that we can now be a part of his family and of his purposes. So let's take some time, take communion and pray that God would help us experience this fresh and anew and work through and in our lives. Father, I thank you for your great grace, your great love, your rich mercy. Thank you for bringing us into your family. Thank you for saving us. Lord, for anyone that's not a Christian listening now, I pray that you would draw them, that they would experience your grace even now. Lord, we thank you that we did nothing to be brought into your family. We did nothing to earn it, to deserve it. It's all you. And yet you didn't just save us and then set us on the sidelines. You saved us and invited us. Saved us and designed us. Saved us and created us. Saved us and purposed us. Saved us and called us to be a part of your mission. To be a part of your work in this world. So we thank you for that, Lord, and I pray that you would give us a greater sense, each person listening, a greater sense of your purpose in our lives, that we, God, forgive us where our lives have been unaligned with you, other purposes. God, forgive us and allow us, Lord, help us to live each day aligned with you. God, thank you for the way you've designed each person. Help us to um, not be discontent or jealous or... Upset about who we are, but thankful for who you've made us to be and that we would live in line with your purposes. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.